Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the MedTexperts podcast. We appreciate everybody joining us. Uh, this will be likely the final edition of our podcast for the 2023 fiscal and calendar year. Uh, we appreciate everybody taking the time to listen to us throughout the year. Uh, in, in grand fashion, we have another spectacular guest today that we're very excited to talk about, uh, coming from the true nature of what our core audience is and being some of the early stage startup med tech companies. Uh, we have uh, Krishni, who is the Chief Commercial Officer at Orion Innovations joining us today. He's gonna be talking a lot about some of the strategies that as a med tech startup within the last few years, the successes he's been able to find, the challenges he's come across, and really helping to lay the foundation for all those that are listening on how to mimic and create the same success that he's having. I'm joined today by my esteemed colleagues, Barbara Strain and Scott Alexander. Uh, Scott just got a new treadmill. He'd be happy to answer any questions that anybody has as it relates to uh, the act of uh, working walking and walking and, yeah. at the same time. Uh, he is Very challenging. The key opinion leader of all key opinion leaders as it relates to that matter. So uh, please, <laughs> please reach out to Scott. So with that, we welcome everybody to the MedTech Business Academy. Chris, thanks for coming on. Appreciate the time. Uh, wanted to uh, just uh, get into a little bit, uh, I guess before we get into things, why don't you tell everybody about yourself and Orion Innovations briefly. We obviously just heard your bio, um, so people have the technical aspects of that, but just from the perspective of what is it that Orion Innovations does and, and, and tell us about some of the great things you guys are working on. Yeah, happy to uh, Skinner and team. So a pleasure to be here. And apparently, you know, we'll, we'll rejoin at Scott's treadmill to work off some Thanksgiving calories, maybe credit right. deficit before the Christmas calories consume us. But um, as Skinner said, my name is Krishni. I'm, I'm the chief commercial officer at Orion Innovations. Orion's a, a basically a platform med device company. It's based in Utah and St. George. So think uh, more arid in Vegas versus skiing uh, type climate, gorgeous. And we have two uh, two product lines. I'll loosely call them divisions, but they're really product lines becoming divisions. One's in the acute healthcare side of things. It's a smart lighting system that attaches to infusion lines. It's meant to prevent a drug-to-drug infusion adverse uh, drug event error. And then the second uh, solution we have is actually a powder. It goes on the tongue. Uh, and it completely eliminates the gag reflex for an hour after uh, just being on your palate for 10 seconds. So the, think dental chair, and then as verticals progress, your nose and throat, direct-to-consumer pill consumption. So pretty disparate uh, you know, endpoints, but they fit our goal, which is smart, simple, disposable, patentable. Uh, and so we really hunger for the, the powerful solution that is also simple in nature. Uh, my typical role, of course, as a CCO is all things commercial. So sales, marketing, sales ops, clinical, uh, study design, uh, B2B negotiation, and the two different verticals really hunger for different met methods. Uh, acute healthcare, of course, has its mechanics that tend to grind slow, complex stakeholder processes, long sales cycles, value analysis committee meetings, and then you go over to the dental side of the world and you have a single decision maker that when they're uh, sensing a problem they can solve for themselves can make a decision in five minutes. So amazingly contrasted uh, solutions and verticals. 
Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So let, let's let's focus on the MedLite ID, which is the acute care uh, product. Uh, how long ago was that launched? Yeah, uh, conceived four years ago, launched just about 14 months ago into what we call a milestone commercialization process. Perfect. So right in the throes of the post-COVID environment, which is exactly what we want to talk about here. So tell us, what has it been like launching a medical device, a medical technology in this new environment where, you know, everybody's consumed with backlogs, there's there's tons of attrition in the provider ranks on labor, multiple areas of focus, value analysis committees still aren't focused. What has it been like launching a technology in that space? Where have you achieved some successes and where have the greatest challenges been? Yeah, so it's utopian, right? We, you know, we'll call this the golden era of launching medical devices, and it's so simple and so expedient, or <laughs> perhaps the opposite of that, right? I, you know, 24 years in the healthcare verticals, probably one of the most challenging periods of my entire career. Um, my entire career has been focused on bringing disruptive and new, always me new, not me too. Um, and that takes real work. And, and so this, this macro climate in the post-COVID has compounded in the acute healthcare space what is typically a, a fairly arduous and grinded out and committee driven. So, you know, what we've seen is the same things. In the United States, we saw VACs enter into tremendous backlogs of review, uh, still staying largely remote, which does not allow for uh, the currency of credibility be best established in a more person-to-person -person venue. Uh, product trials incredibly reserved, slowed, or stopped. And then, you know, of course, between the supply shortages that you mentioned, you know, Skinner is uh, supply chain procurement, all, all but putting a timeout on exploring new things, saying, look, we've got to figure out how to get supply of our already established life-saving on contract stuff. There better be an amazing reason to be looking at new and and potentially stressing our already stressed out nurses with a depending on the report we read nineteen to twenty one percent nurse attrition rate since the COVID era. So um, challenging to say the least. The most challenging period of my professional career introducing new med device into the United States healthcare sector. Yeah, I, I can imagine. So, so what have you been doing to find success? So, in the United States, I, I you know, I'm going to bifurcate this discussion a bit, um, and it may lead towards an expansion of the OUS side. So, we we really looked at the U.S. mechanics, uh, and we're a very goals of backwards organization. So, we we reverse from an endpoint on the MedLite side of things. This disposable smart light system that clips to infusion lines. Uh, we have seven patents on it, lighting any form of ID line. We have the intellectual property on those lights communicating to pumps, pumps communicating to lights. So we work backwards from what is the commercial milestones evidence and IP that we need so that in strategic, a BD, a Baxter, an ICU medical would want to acquire all of that and roll it into their line and pump competitive differential. So in the United States, with the climate we've talked about, we did we decided to, to not go about, let's just try and sell to anybody. Let's just walk into Airview Hospital and turn on definitive healthcare and just, you know, carpet bomb. 
So, you know, keeping it succinct, we said, where do we need to create evidence in academic and VA, DOD, KOL, you know, juggernauts? Because that evidence helps us with the goals backwards of a strategic acquisition. We looked at a smart revenue creation. Instead of making revenue in a hospital, let's look at how that hospital might be nested inside 38 hospitals or inside of a key IDN so that the adoption mechanics create a, a propagation of our credibility at the product solution organization. So, um, and then we, we looked at where, you know, where, where to spend time, right? Is, you know, as a startup, if everything's a priority, nothing is. And if you're, if you're not really thinking about how that minute should equal 10 minutes of results or that account could equal 10 accounts worth of credibility, you may be winning and losing at the same time. So we have in the United States focused on KOL sites for early revenue production, but really to show proof of concept of adoption. We have targeted uh, KOL and the government, academic, traditional acute and specialty, think air ambulance, to get um, evidence creation, you know, standard of care versus MedLite, what's the rate of change, we need real world healthcare economics. It can't be soft, it, it can't be a, a soft ROI these days. Um, and then we've, you know, doubled down um, on using the right kinds of scaling resources, you know, and, and with a nod to the clinician exchange, instead of hiring more and more base costs, right? Uh, you know, we have now a surge force, a scalable professional nurse force that can be on the pre-implementation product trial and on the post-PO adoption side, but without exploding our base costs that we can move it up and down and make it geographically appropriate. But a transition here. The United States is in one of its arguably most difficult periods. We also have really focused on an OUS strategy on how to diversify the inbound revenue, uh, inbound evidence and strategic milestones, and lessen the risk of being US solely. Um, so, you know, we've we've maybe done something different. A lot of startups will just purely hunker down and we've decided we want that seesaw to have a better equivalence in the United States and key markets around the world. So I have an interesting question. At least I think it's interesting. When you said out of U.S. and you talked about, uh, you know, gaining evidence and a variety of things, is it different, the same? Uh, are they willing to do that? Mm -hmm. What sort of struggles did you have to sort of learn what that looks like? Yeah, great, great question. Um, the first is to understand what global governance is actually global. So in MedLite, this is infusion and the powerhouse of infusion governance. We didn't want to pick an arbitrary or an archaic set of rules. It's really the Infusion Nursing Society, which is the overarching control of best practice around the world. So as, as we've approached, you know, uh, and, and I would say we have, again, chosen to be very methodical. We're not in every market. I want to be in the top markets. I want to be in the premier regions of each hemispheric region to take the crown jewel. Uh, but that's both commercially and evidence. So addressing the evidence question, we said, 
let's make sure we take the global standard to those markets so that they say, just as you're doing, Barbara, they say, you're right, Chris, the Infusion Nursing Society head nodding is the uh, arbitrator of all safety standards for how IVs are put in, how uh, infusion adverse drug events are reduced. So, you know, you're, and they ask the question, so Chris, you're saying that your evidence translates to us and that the standards of the INS uh, are relevant to us. And it's yes and yes. And then we progress. That means that trials that show standard of care improvement using MedLite are equally relevant when utilizing that standard as a buttress. But it means that the work we've done here in protocol design, butting up against that standard, it all provides momentum when I go to first world country, Europe, Asia, Latin America, you know, Middle East, because we've anchored ourselves not in an American only standard, but in a global standard. And now the study design efforts can continue to build momentum. Every country that does work, I now use the American information and the Europe and I go have the Asia discussion. And now I use the three of them to have the Middle East discussion. Momentum begets momentum because the math doesn't lie. On the commercial front, we've taken a similar approach. Don't be in every country. Be in the regions that will provide the richest dividends from that goals backwards strategy. Are there... I'm assuming that you're using distributors in countries outside the U.S. Um, is that the case, or do you go direct? Sort of, how do you think about mm. the the sales organization for these different places? Yeah, it, great question, Scott. So, yes, and um, to answer that with a bit more depth, I'm going to rewind the clock to about 15 years ago and connect the dots to today. Yeah. So, a different startup in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we birthed a vein imaging device so I could see your peripheral IV veins. It would reproject them on the skin surface. It would help you get a peripheral IV instead of getting a pick line, which has higher rates of infection. To keep it simple, our company created that entire market. And guess what the standards were at the time that governed peripheral IV pick, uh, CDC? It was the Infusion Nursing Society. Um, but at that time, a similar paradigm existed. Luminetics was the name of the company. We were US only with a single product that was me new, not me too. There was nothing like this technology. You could either just keep stabbing a patient or you could move to ultrasound, uh, which was largely unused for peripheral IV placement. But there was like, this huge chasm. So this technology was new. So as we started growing evidence, adoption, commercial traction in the US, I think I raised my hand in the wrong meeting when somebody said, you know, well, what about the international markets? And I, my hand shot up, probably over caffeinated, maybe not enough treadmill time. Yeah, right. And, and we began the journey. And so the lessons I applied there are what I'm applying now. Those lessons uh, in a summary form, we went from 0.0 international distributors representing the main uh, viewer product line mm-hmm. to 47 distributors selling into 72 countries representing 50% of the global revenue of the company in less than three years. Wow. And we did it with a team less than 15. Uh, and so 
you know, that was, of course, really painful lessons, but some great nuggets. So if I could, I can expand on that just a hair is how am I applying those life lessons here at Orion? The first I would say is if you're a med device company in the United States and you're a little freaked out that the rest of the world is too big and too scary and too much regulatory, is it is if you let it be. But if you do a little homework, a little preparation versus a lot of cure, we know that, you know, adage works well in our uh, personal lives. It actually is a massive opportunity that said earlier creates a inbound diversification of revenue and a risk, you know, lessening. So a couple of points here, and we can go deeper on any of these that you'd like. The first is, how do you know where the biggest markets are that have the highest rate of return for you? That cannot be a subjective exercise in a boardroom or a Wikipedia search. So, you know, you know, I've developed a tumbler uh, where the tumbler spins multiple variables. That tumbler has components like what's the importation volume of devices in my med device class? In this case, let's say infusion lines as a surrogate to how big is the infusion market? Another tumbler, what is the uh, intellectual property theft potential of that region, considering I typically represent me new, highly IP-oriented devices? Another tumbler, what's the landed cost of my product? Is that market going to price that product out of the purchasing you know, you know, reasonableness test? So the VAT tax tariff. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the, the next is, you know, what is... What is the uh, distribution potential in that you know market? Is it totally dominated by OEMs, the, the big boys, or is there a regional distribution that can be sought and quantified? So, break one in my in my kind of you know multi step that I'm applying here to Ryan is actually create a forced rank of the top ten markets, not subjectively, not because I traveled there once and I thought it was neat. So that tumbler is my first step. The second is rigorous courtship and qualification assets of in regional distribution. So define the ideal profile of that distributor, call point, vertical, what do they carry? How big's the bag? Number of people, it gets longer, but you also yeah, have, yeah. have to keep it away from the perfect date. There's no such thing as an absolute perfect distributor. You need to know what's more or less important. And then your courtship assets, uh, you get one chance to make a great impression. And overseas distributor partners are very sensitive to a rookie American med device company their way. You could be taken advantage of or that you come off as super arrogant and you think the American way is the only way. Uh, and so your courtship assets, meaning the B2B brochure, the one, the letters, the assets need to be written with a degree of just uh, inter- just a hair of international savvy, uh, yeah. less, less hardcore American lingo. Uh-huh. So if we have a targeting tumbler and we have a distrib- distributor profile uh, understood, not winging it or being bedazzled by somebody who promises you to order 50 cases tomorrow. And mm-hmm. you only ship it to Miami. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have your courtship assets. 
then the next component that I focus on is really the distribution negotiation. What are the core sections that American med device companies typically don't recognize either bring value or incredible risk? There's a few in the international uh, distribution template. Final step in this journey, signing the agreement is the beginning of the work is how do you define a kickoff plan that is oriented towards a strong marriage, growth, performance-driven, communication, excellent, and reproducible. So targeting, profiling, courtship, negotiation, must-haves, gotchas, business cripplers, and then growth launch plan, not I'm going to call you a recorder and see where you're at against quota. And I, I applied that to get to that 47 distributors, 72 countries, and I'm applying it now at Orion. Yeah, that's amazing. It's really amazing. Uh, you know, at the Clinician Exchange, we also have a scientific tumbler too. Uh, it's <laughs> only dressed <laughs> as a magic eight ball, um, but it gives me the same information I need uh, in the same same assets. So uh, I'm glad we're on the same wavelength on that. Yep. So like Chris, I re- when, been comparable yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah. So Chris, when you said Tumblr, I was nodding and smiling because we had the same conversation, you know, months ago when we were working together. So uh, I remembered that very clearly because it's really sort of value analysis or H-E-O-R for manufacturers and companies, right? You have a set of all these different things that you need to work together Mm -hmm. and you need to see how that score comes out. So I think that's a very, very interesting uh, point. And I had some questions, you know, way ahead of time before we started the conversation and you've really hit on some things. So what in your sort of Tumblr world uh, but your gut feeling as well is what is like a maybe one of the key triggers that may sort of blow everything up? You know, what what should you wait or pay attention to? Yeah, so the in, in med device, the orientation of our discussion today, there in that tumbler we talked about, there's one uh kind of piece of C4 at the end of that. Uh, <laughs> and it's the regulatory burden. Is you know so if you have the largest inbound market volume and a low probability for IP theft and uh, competition, which I neglected to mention, is you know low, uh, great distributor potential. But if the regulatory burden is so high, uh, or if the landed tax duty tariff is so high, that market may still be appealing, but it's not the first one you go after, right? You need to create revenue and traction and markets that have better scoring criteria. Um, you know, if you're going to get thrust, you know, I've represented class one and two devices for most of my career, um, every now and then a PMA or a de novo. But uh, if you're going to be up classified into the stratosphere triggering, you know, clinical studies, there's no predicate, that market isn't the first one to go to. Um, if you is a, an analog um, going into Brazil, as an example, I'll use round dollar figures for simplicity. You know, if our 
product was going to land at 10 bucks and it was going to end up at $25 before the distributor had applied any margin. You know, you have to really think about that because that product may be unaffordable on the other side, or you're going to trigger a negotiation that says, I need you to cut your price by 40% so that I, when I add my margin, we can all be whole. I will tell you uh, through a, a few of these things, there is some secret sauce that I would like to share. Uh, so one of the best use of your tax dollars you know nothing about is the US commercial services. They are the branch of our government that is charged with increasing export. And 15 years ago, I literally fumbled into them. So at one point in the Luminetics journey and here, I had layered anywhere from five to 12 countries being simultaneously tumblered, profiled, and that then starts a funnel of distributor candidates that you have to vet court and eventually move to close and then launch, negotiate and launch, right? So think about the volume of that. Pick 10 countries and each of them jet generate 20 top level distributor candidates that turn into eight, that turn into three, that you get the best two. In the US commercial services, starting at that Tumblr question that Barbara posed, they will provide free market assessments. They will give you using an HS code, uh, they will give you importation volumes of like devices to 20 countries, 50, 100. Just depends on how you know much you want to choke down. They will give you detailed tax duty tariff landed cost analysis so that you're not relying on who? The distributor to tell you that that landed cost is accurate because maybe they pack that a bit so that the negotiation works in their favor. Um, you can use them to you know check intellectual property theft issues. You can even use them to to screen late stage candidates' credit worthiness, distributor candidates in this case, uh, or if they're on the don't sell list, maybe they've gotten caught with their hand in a Syrian cookie jar. So the US commercial services provides huge amounts of that first part of the tumbler at no charge. The second piece, uh, if I could just parlay on that secret sauce for a, a hair more. so. You know, if we've got our Tumblr and these are the first six markets because the Tumblr makes sense. Distributor profile, I think, is fairly internally easy to write. You know, vertical size of Salesforce, call point, what's in the bag, too big a bag, too small a bag. Uh, but you can have the U.S. commercial services determine known top talent distributors in the local market that are a better match. What do I mean? There are multiple services by the USCS called the Gold Key, called the International Partnership Search. And IPS, a couple hundred bucks, will take your distributor profile criteria, all that Tumblr information, I'm going to Scandinavia, I'm going to Japan, I'm going to Saudi Arabia. And it, it will generate a written report on the top talent distributors in that market that meet your distributor profile. And then it scrubs anybody that's already on the no-no list or doesn't pay or has a, you know, a, you know the, the eight ball on them. Mm -hmm. 
And then if you want to convert that to a gold key, you they will now assign an in-country med device expert who works for the U.S. government to use your courtship materials that we'd already prepared earlier that are not American arrogant, are fine-tuned, and they will present those, they will court them, they will draw them in into a one-to-one initial conversation and interview by you. And so that funnel, when you now becomes manageable. So now I had five, 10 US commercial service people all around the world, simultaneously taking my profiling, vetting, I would call out the ones that didn't match, you know, my matchmaking criteria. We would shrink the funnel. And at one point, this is my own uh, suffering and pain enjoyment. I was flying to a country interviewing four top talent distributors, getting on a plane, flying to another country, getting on a plane, flying to another country. And I would vet 20 top talent distributors in a week down shifting to the best two. And then I would take my final steps to call them to the number one. But I want to just reiterate that secret sauce. The tumblers data, the landed costs, the initial courtship, the the one-to-one interviews, even security details or translation, if that becomes necessary, are anywhere from zero dollars to a few hundred dollars per country. As I said before, it is one of the best kept secrets of your tax dollars. Uh, And it becomes a global force multiplier where you realize the world's not so big. It's not so scary. It's not so dark. I can do this. I think that's fascinating. And thanks for enlightening all of us with that, especially your audience. I hope hope people make use of it. I guess the one question that I have, and I'm going to relate it to my ethnocentric ways in the U.S. because, you know, I think we are the best. But if an organization was to do that from outside, inside, okay, and let's look at your product, niche product, niche market, okay, when you break it down, it's very niche in in a sector of healthcare. If somebody was to do that from outside OUS and take those same services, would they only be returned with the likes of a Medline, a Cardinal, an Owens and Minor, instead of some of those niche players that you need to, who sometimes, and I'm not saying this unequivocally, but sometimes have less scruples than others and may not necessarily be reporting to the same elements that a Medline, Cardinal, uh, et cetera, would be associated to. Now, taking that and applying that to a France, a Scandinavia, in Italy, in Saudi Arabia, et cetera, how do you kind of weed out and say, okay, I'm now with the Medline of Saudi Arabia, which is great, but now I've got 15,000 products that I'm competing for the attention and nobody's really niched where I need them to be. So and then, so just for clarity, Skinner, this would be an, an OUS, uh, OEM. I'm, I'm just drawing the analogy, right? Got it. Got That's it. it. Just drawing. Yeah. So if you were to take that same names and enter whatever Saudi Arabia is, and you got these Medline equivalent of Saudi Arabia, doesn't necessarily tell you who's going to be the best at pushing your niche product in there. Same thing as if the Saudi Arabian company was coming here, they got their report and got it on Medline Cardinal and Owens Minor. It's not going to help them sell IV products. Uh, Another great question. So instead of the matchmaking orienting to the behemoths, the U.S. commercial service in, in these methodologies that, that I'm discussing actually orient to the mid and small size, to the disruptors. Um, 
I have very rarely, so uh, without over math, you know, mathing it, I probably have vetted close to 350, 400 distributors over that 15 years and replicating it now and a few other stops. Um, I would say in less than five instances have I ever been put to a organization of that size. Uh, the exceptions are the following. There's many mid-size and smaller size companies that exist, particularly in the Middle East and in Asia that are owned by very large umbrella companies. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a billion dollar company that owns a hundred million dollar company that has a business unit that's 10 million. The key of course is finding focus. I think at the heart, you know, Skinder, what you're hammering on, right? Correct. Is, yeah. Mm -hmm. Cutting a deal with a, a distributor and just being in the bag is only going to create frustration every quarter when the sales don't come. Right. So I, I, I have found that in 98, 99% of the time, you're actually oriented because your profile told the U.S. Commercial Service what you're looking for. I actually set caps on how big an organization, because I don't want to be in that juggernaut of a company where I'm going to be askew and just frustrating mm -hmm. myself. So I have realistic expectations, but then make them known in the profile and you'll get much closer to what you're looking for on day one. Fascinating. How much of it are you responsible for? Because I'm a marketing guy, right? Like I'm thinking about how you translate the marketing materials into Portuguese for Brazil or, um, you know, Spanish for Argentina or whatever. To what degree are you responsible for that? And then I also am curious, do you track ROI by country? And do you ever look at the profitability by country? Because I'd be willing to bet you a dollar that or a nickel, as we were talking earlier, um, that the U.S. is probably mid-tier in terms of what your actual ROI is. But mm -hmm. curious to get your thoughts. I'm not, I won't take your bet because you're right. Um, yeah. So if, if we if we look at that, um, for sure, tracking ROI by country makes sense because you may be using non-map pricing. You may be regionalizing your pricing as you should based on what the market will bear. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you, we have some equations here. It's not that fancy. It's simple math. It says if, if the American price points 10, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia should be able to afford 12. Uh, mm -hmm. Latin America should be able to afford, you know, uh, six. Uh, and so we, you know, you kind of establish some of those parallel universes. But you're right. The, the American price point is not always the highest price point. Right. Uh, so I, you know, looking at those markets, I would say uh, price elasticity tied back to that landed tax duty tariff, you know, tied to uh, some of the cost of sale that you brought up, you know, Scott. So you are legally required to translate the instructions for use. That is a universal rule. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the vast majority of the world, that is a printed asset and not a digital download. Although there are more and more regions that are allowing for a digital IFU, a lot of cost savings in that. Uh, so a little bit of a savvy American moment, right? If you allow a distributor to tell you that you're required to translate every piece of marketing material and you go do it, you're going to drive up your cost of sale quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so my general policy has always been to establish early on 
These are the responsibilities and ways I'm going to empower you, resource you. I'm going to have a cloud-based system of all of our assets so you don't have to wait on me to wake up. I want you to move at the speed of light. Here's my brochures, videos, assets, et cetera. You don't have to email because, you know, we American email handles much bigger file sizes than the majority of the world. I'm going to put it in a cloud. This is what I'm going to translate, the IFU. You're going to translate everything else. And I do want the rights to look at that to make sure you haven't made a false claim like MedLite cures cancer. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes with, it, it kind of backs up to know what you need to know so that you don't under or over promise and maybe drive cost of sale, reduce your profit. Again, the U.S. Commercial Services helps with that, though, because they're your independent person that you turn to and go, is that really a requirement? And they say, no, that's not. That's a wish. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that is I, I, really I, I think this has been fascinating. I hope uh, I'm learning a lot um, from this perspective. I hope our audience is. Uh, but with that, out of respect for your time, Chris, out of respect for our audience's time, uh, we're going to get into the wrap up mode here. Uh, we usually do that. Uh, we'll give you final say in your final thoughts. But uh, Scott, Barbara, what final thoughts do you have uh, in parting with Chris here? Ladies first. Oh, okay. I'll give you nickels later. Um, So what I really wrote down in capital letters, it's just so simple, but it's do the homework. And you laid out, I think, sort of the best sort of checklist of homework I've heard uh, in a really long time, but it's really going to set our audience on a path of success. And and what I say almost every time is our companies, any company needs to look inwardly. How am I making these decisions? What do I have to consider? How do I do it? And just this one resource, I've never heard of that before. And I'm sure a lot of our audience are going, what? I'm just thinking, wouldn't it be nice if we had something on the U.S. side that gave us the same information rather than struggling, you know, bits and pieces? This has been great, Chris. And uh, I'm looking forward to your parting remarks in a little bit. Yeah. Scott. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, one of the biggest things I think we fight against in our industry is this idea of, well, that's how we've always done it. Hmm. And if I take anything away, it's that there's a really novel way and and fairly accessible way to do things differently that are going to drive better results for the companies and, you know, further kind of propagate uh, our technologies out to people that need them. So I, I think it's awesome. This has been great. I really, I've been taking notes as we've been talking because I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta look this up and get into it. Uh, but no, fantastic, Chris. Thanks. I really appreciate the the insight and the expertise that you brought. Glad to be here. Yeah. And, and so my final thought is just necessity is the mother of invention, right? Uh, and and I think if more organizations can take off the blinders and not think of. I only can sell the Cleveland Clinic, UCLA, Mount Sinai, and really start to open up their expansions. You should be doing those, right? Nobody's telling you not to. That's not what Chris is advocating for. Chris is advocating for as well as bureaucratic behemoth spins its wheels. Play that game, spin those wheels, wait for those 
those things to land on in, in your favor. But while they're spinning, look for other ways to create activity. And that's going to balance you out. You know, we, we hear so much about CEO burnout. And I think so much of that CEO burnout comes from the fact that they've got all their eggs in one basket. And this is a great diversification strategy, Chris. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to lay it out so succinctly and so detailed. I, I think it's a huge asset for our organization. Thank you. Yeah, absolute pleasure to be here. Hopefully valuable to uh, to to one. We'll all get on Scott's treadmill figuratively, you know, uh, factually together. And maybe maybe just a closing comment or two. Um, you know what I'm what I'm skipping over obviously is the many mistakes too, and all those were valuable as well. So happy to sh- you know happy to share some of these tool sets. Uh, you know, Skinner to you and your audience is if some of these tool sets can be of help to jumpstart that inward reflection. Um, but a couple final nuggets in in parting. Uh, so the question I heard earlier is I, I I wish there was an American version of this. There is. So while a piece of our discussion moved to the OUS market, and that's the U.S. commercial services, I will uh, gladly send a few of the key hyperlinks that dovetail into those service offerings to you and the team. In every state in the United States, there is something just like I have here in Central Michigan called the Michigan Economic Development Council. It's just not Michigan in your state, so the EDC. That group is a U.S. equivalent. Do you want data? Do you want partnership? Do you want representation focused on the U.S.? They do that here. So the uh, Michigan Economic Development Corporation is just like the uh, domestically focused version of the U.S. Commercial Service. So it is available. And uh, a fun note about Cleveland Clinic. Absolutely. Intellectual property, evidence creation, commercial traction here in the U.S. world's biggest market. Got to do it. But what you heard, I hope me describe is there's a diversification of revenue and risk mitigation available. But guess what we're doing in Dubai right now? We're using the Dubai Cleveland Clinic as an entry point to get to Cleveland Clinic. Uh, 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 Brilliant. Yeah, Johns Hopkins, Cleveland Clinic, Mayo. Yeah. And guess what? That's That's a genius move, Chris. That's awesome. No, uh, there's a lot of ways to get the cat into the stew pot. Love it. Love Meet that. Cat? <laughs> Chris, that's awesome, man. That's yeah. that's worth the listen. I think for, for all the people that listen in, that like everybody's like, I'm going to Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think that's fantastic. That's great. Chris, thank you so much for imparting this uh, knowledge upon us. We really appreciate it. Our audience appreciates it. Uh, we definitely want to have you back on. Uh, at some point in the new year and, and expound upon this further because I, I would estimate uh, that we're going to have a lot of audience questions come from this um, and rather than just share that individually I think it'd be really beneficial for the entire audience to hear some of the commentary on that so Chris thanks again good luck to you in the new year uh, and we appreciate your time and uh, look forward to speaking with you again happy thanks holidays so much. everybody here thank mm-hmm. you for having me thanks Chris that's awesome thank you